Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. One of the key things that uh, we always talk about, Tyler, is elevating the conversation about coastal and ocean issues around the world and certainly on the American shoreline. And uh, we have a great guest for our Labor Day show, Danny Washington, who is a science communicator and ocean advocate and really looking forward to talking to her. I cannot wait. Uh, We spend so much time thinking about how to communicate the coastal conversation all across the ASPN network. And uh, we've got someone who's just absolutely kind of revolutionizing. She's a pro. Uh, Total pro. So uh, we look forward to talking to Danny about all sorts of stuff. But before we get into the discussion today, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants offers high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, and the skilled and respectful crews to get your project built. Make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring the dune and wetland ecology of your home or barrier island. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at dunesciencegroup.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Well, Danny Washington, for our listeners out there, is... uh an amazing woman and founder of a number of incredible communication uh, products out there or, or programs. Danny was the founder of Big Blue and You, a nonprofit organization dedicated to ocean education. She's a correspondent on Mission Unstoppable, a show on CBS. You can find it online. Uh, she is also the uh, host of a show called Exploration Nature Knows Best on Fox. And she has a great web series that you can check out called Science, the bleep out of it. And I'll skip the bleep part. And uh, she's really done an amazing job in reaching out to the public and trying to raise awareness and understanding of, of coastal and ocean health and environmental issues. Uh, Danny, thank you so much for taking out of time, time out of your really busy schedule to talk to us on the American Shoreline podcast. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. Well, Danny, uh, I got to start. I was our audience has been following along. I, I had the the pleasure of taking a week long sailing trip out of Fort Lauderdale and down through the Florida Keys. And this was my first time, Danny, exploring it's like two weeks ago. This was two weeks ago. I've and it's wow. it's been rough coming back. I have to tell you, it is <laughs> it has been an emotional roller coaster coming back to the real world. But 
Uh, Danny, it was my first time exploring the Keys, which I found to just impress the hell out of me. I had never really considered just how magnificent uh, that part of Florida is. And I would just like to get your thoughts on the state of things down there. This is your backyard. You know, this is your home stretch of American shoreline. What's the condition down there? I mean, what I saw was the healthy parts of the reef uh, where I got to snorkel were absolutely mind-blowing how much life, but there was also a lot of bleaching and, you know, just an update for our audience on the condition down there. Sure. Well, it's been a long time coming for me. I haven't personally been uh, to the Florida Keys in in a few years, actually, because my schedule has been crazy, uh, having to shoot different productions and things, and I wish I could go. But I grew up going to the Keys, and I went to a really interesting high school that had a, and still has, a marine science magnet program. It's The name of the school is South Broward High in Hollywood, Florida. And so my experiences there really shaped my view of not only the Florida Keys and our marine ecosystems down there, but globally. And really, it, the Keys were really a microcosm of what was happening around the world uh, amongst different reefs. And so I've watched the decline, unfortunately, throughout my lifetime and almost wish that I could have gone back to the 1950s, somehow time traveled to see oh, what the reefs were like back then, because I can only imagine how magnificent and uh, how much life was bursting out of um, that area. And so... The thing is, is that we, you know, our behaviors as human beings on land really directly impact our coral reefs. And yes, we have, you know, a huge, massive existential crisis known as climate change that we're all having to grapple with and figure out solutions for. But there's also a lot of things that we can actually help control, Uh, one of which being, you know, looking at our water quality and why, you know, human behavior on land is directly, you know, uh, causing detriment to coral reefs, specifically nitrogen, looking at nitrogen, how we fertilize our lawns or, you know, untreated sewage water, all of these byproducts of our behaviors are ending up in the water. And then uh, our reefs are feeling, you know, the, the repercussions of that. So my hope is that we can get way more people out on on the reefs in the Florida Keys so they could see it for themselves, see the beauty, the wonder, the majesty, like what you just did two weeks ago, and then be able to change behaviors and see like, wow, this is all connected. And that's really the essence of what I do um, it, as my, you know, my daily job, my, my work as a science communicator is really to show those connections um, because coral reefs are, you know, they're the oasis of the ocean and it, they hold so much biodiversity, even more than, you know, this, the esteemed Amazon rainforest. I mean, there's just so much life happening on the reefs and we need them to be healthy in order for us to remain healthy. No question about it. And, you know, Danny, what you're talking about is this balance of, uh, you know, the the economics of South Florida is just so clear when you sail out of Fort Lauderdale going south and just the, the whole shoreline is rimmed with concrete, you know, condos and apartments all the way down. And then as you get around the reef and, you know, we don't think about the impacts that all of that development has had and you're right i mean that's what the the comment you said if going back 50 years ago oh my lord that that is exactly what i was fantasizing about when i was out there was what this place would have been like a hundred years ago or to the to the you know people who were there before all of the development occurred and the reef started to degrade i mean it would have been 
like the Great Barrier Reef, I suspect. You know, it's just this this feature on the planet that stands out for its incredible life supporting properties. Uh, and to think that it's so that we that it's degraded so far, and yet the good parts are still so good. I mean, it just presents this this uh, conundrum, as we like to say here on this podcast, that we're confronted with over and over and over again in our effort to adapt to living on the planet sustainably. But man, it was just beautiful getting down there, Danny. And I, I, uh, you know, I think I can see why as uh, someone growing up in that part of the world, you would be inspired to the, to the career path that you're on. Absolutely. I mean, it was a, it was a no brainer. And even though some of my family thought I was absolutely nuts for wanting to go scuba diving or, you know, swim with sharks and be a part of the marine environment as much as possible, uh, they eventually accepted it because I wasn't going to change my mind and I haven't since then. And I think the more people that are able to connect with the ocean directly, the better off we will be. Um, I, in my heart of hearts, you know, in this really tumultuous time that we're living through and having to grapple with social, you know, justice issues, racial injustices, all of these things that are all kind of piled up on us at this very moment in 2020. um, I, I truly believe water is the healing element. I think water is what is the great unifier and it will bring us together as a human race. Uh, we just need more people to to connect with it and to be in the waves. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I love that. Yeah, I think the firsthand experience of seeing a coral reef up close uh, will get your attention and focus you on what is the status and condition and what's going on in the world. Uh, Danny, when you look around the world and you talked about the Keys being a microcosm of the issues along the American shoreline or shorelines around the world, are you optimistic about our ability to do better than we have in the past? I am optimistic. Um, And that's hard for me to even say sometimes because I know what the stats are. I read countless articles and papers, you know, regarding the current status of coral reefs around the world. But what I, what makes me optimistic is the idea that the ocean is resilient and that our systems, the natural systems that operate on this planet uh, have their own agenda. And yes, we have negatively impacted a lot of those systems because of our presence and our numbers. But in a way I, I see nature as, as in ultimate control, like the, at the end of it, we are we are going to have to deal with what nature gives us because that's just the way that this thing works. So I also feel hope because of places like the Dry, Dry Tortugas National Park in the Florida Keys. I don't know if you made it there during your sailing just, trip. But just a little too seeing, far for us. Uh, yeah, it is. It's a trek. It's definitely a trek, but it's worth it. When you go out there, you'll see... Um, massive elkhorn coral and staghorn coral and all of the fish species are extra large because it's a no-take zone. It's a place that's been protected, thankfully, by our government. And um, it's a place where we can enjoy and see the possibilities. And so I'm a huge proponent for promoting marine protected areas. Uh, As a marine conservation community, we've all galvanized around this idea of protecting 30% of the ocean by 2030. That's in 10 years. I think that's a very... um, low low percentage i want to go for more like 50 or 60 because that's what it's going to take to give our ocean the time and space to heal itself and it can recover i think we've gotten a glimpse of that over the summer of 2020 
with COVID and the reduction in travel, reduction in coastal tourism, we've seen areas all around the world that have suddenly started to almost immediately come into better condition. Is that something that you have tracked? And can you talk a little bit about this capacity of, of self-healing that the ocean has if we just get out of the way a little bit? Well, I haven't personally been able to track that. I, there are several brilliant scientists that are are currently working on projects related to this. And uh, one of the, the projects that I really admire is called Coral Vita. And it was started by two friends of mine, and they're currently in Grand Bahama Island. So just not bad. You know, really close, not bad, super close to Florida, obviously. Uh, but they are working on, you know, developing uh, climate, well, almost climate change resistant coral. And I don't want to put words. You definitely have to check out their website. They're so amazing. But essentially, they're they're building up the strength of coral species in that area so that they can handle the rising ocean temperatures and other factors that are impacting coral reefs. And they're doing this on the daily. They survived, uh, you know, the hurricane that hit last year. This is actually the same anniversary month. And the farm that they were they were working on was completely destroyed by the hurricane. But yet they've rebuilt, and they are there now working their butts off to find solutions for corals and i'm i'm just in awe of of scientists like them who are are tracking this and actively working out solutions well it's great to see our creativity used in that positive way i know we can build a lot of things on the shoreline and change the dynamics of the coast and pump sand on shore and dig channels and build things but when we apply our uh, creative energy and talent and scientific understanding uh, to make the environment healthier, we're moving in the right direction. Uh, for the benefit of our listeners, Danny, I, can you tell us, I mean, I'm looking at this resume of shows and production that you do in media to get the word out, engage the public, get them inspired. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the shows that you're working on now and why those are so important? Sure. So uh, over the last decade or so, I've been working in science media, science communications, where I had this idea. I was like, well, I saw Bill Nye doing his thing when I was a kid, and I absolutely loved his show. Would race home after school every day to watch it. Why couldn't I do it? You know, as an African-American woman, um, I hadn't seen anyone who looked like me on TV talking about science. And that's really where it all kind of uh, evolved. And so working on productions like Exploration Nature Knows Best, which was my first nationally syndicated television show on Fox. Uh, it was such a great experience because the show was focused on biomimicry and this field of, of study where we're looking at nature for answers to create better technologies and design um, things that are helpful to humans, but also work in harmony with nature. And so that show really was the launching pad for me to see the possibilities in this in this field. And I think now more than ever, it's incredibly important for more science communicators, those who feel or know that they have um, basic foundational knowledge of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, but also have this dual, has this dual skill set of being able to speak on camera and to work on podcasts like this and, and present the information that scientists are working so hard to gather and analyze and presenting it in a way that's engaging and fun. And that's really what my job is all about. So I get to be the bridge. I am like straddling between academia and the general public and figuring out new ways in order to convey the information that the public really needs to know um, because it's for our own survival. So I consider my job um, very unique and special and 
I enjoy it so much because I'm an eternal student. Every time I'm on set, if we're shooting a segment and I get to meet these incredible scientists, I have a chance to learn from them in that moment. And so I, I just love my job so much. <laughs> yeah, well, it's I we really uh, vibe with that because, you know, that's what we're trying to do is obviously um, be a conduit for this broader discussion. And I guess, you know, my question for you, Danny, is in kind of the objective of science communication. I, I noticed that obviously there's sometimes science education needs to be just conveying the facts like we did with COVID. Like this is how many cases we have. This is where they are. Um, this is how it's transmitted. This is what we know about the virus, you know, and, and we just need to know that. I mean, that the public's, as you say, survival depends on the conveyance of those facts. But then there's this other piece that I think you're also doing through the creation of these shows, particularly geared toward what I think is, is you know, I would say teenage, the teenager demographic, uh, people who are coming into adulthood, which is familiarizing people with the, with the language of science, for making it comfortable and approachable for people to have discussions about sustainability or carbon or you know, even the coronavirus, you know, this is just part becomes part of the lexicon. And I would be curious to ask you how you weigh out those two responsibilities in your role as a science communicator. That's a great question. Um, uh, well, I take both of those responsibilities very seriously, uh, because I know that with the content that I've chosen to participate in, it is geared toward, like you said, teenagers, even younger. And I know those shows are planting seeds in the minds and hearts of those young viewers and hopefully inspiring them to, to think beyond what the world says that they're supposed to do or what their circumstances are informing them about life, that they can think beyond that. And so for me, that's really important. And I know that I won't see the fruits of that um, effort for years to come, in fact, probably decades later, once these young kids are adults, we'll see what, what crops out of that. But the other side of it, presenting the factual information, yes, absolutely, so important. When you think about a lawyer, a lawyer goes to law school because they need to learn how to speak like a lawyer, think like a lawyer, you know? And it's the same goes for scientists. You learn this jargon um, in order for you to communicate amongst yourselves the importance and the ideas and the discoveries that you're making, but that leaves out everyone else because it's difficult. And most people tell me, well, I had this horrible science teacher in high school. I'm like, yes, we all did at some point. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but at this juncture where we are right now as a collective society, it's really up to each individual to seek the information that they want to find out. And they can't just rely on others just to feed it to them. Yes, as a science communicator, I'm here to present that information and hopefully provide a gateway. But after that door is open, what else are you looking for? How are you serving your own curiosity? Are you just accepting what people tell you as fact or are you going and looking for it yourself? And that's what I really hope to inspire through the work that I do um, is for people to think like a scientist, you know, think objectively, but also, come, you know, look at the data and come to their own conclusions. Yeah, I think that is just so important as well. You know, it, it gets me thinking, Danny, because when we were, when I, I'm 33. And so when I was a kid, the, Bill Nye was a hot programming in my household. I'll tell you that. Hey, uh, we're the same age, so yes. <laughs> and so I, I, I remember though. You know, that that was my source of information. Uh, at that, you know, the internet was not quite developed yet the way it is today. There were no smartphones. If you wanted, you know, it was AOL dial-up in our household. 
uh, mm-hmm. one one user at a time. And let's just say my parents were not keen on me hopping on the internet un you know with you know with no guardrails unsupervised. <laughs> unsupervised. I mean, you know, it was the big scary <laughs> internet. And uh, but nowadays, you know, information is at our fingertips. I mean, if we want, if if you're curious, if you know what question to ask, you can probably go out and find a great deal of information on it. So it it really does become i think i think there's a growing importance on teaching the the how to ask the right question you know how to how to think uh how to imagine that there is a pocket of information there to go and to go and find and and that's you know that's a little different i would say than bill nye you know totally no bill nye was uh i mean his enthusiasm his energy and the information that he was presenting to us was really cool. And he just had that, that it still has that energy, that dynamic personality um, that we all like to listen to. But then at, on the flip side, you know, his, his presence on television kind of um, solidified that stereotype of what a scientist looks like, you know, an older <laughs> white male with a lab coat and lab glasses. And a bow and so, tie. <laughs> Right. And Bill and I, I met him for the first time last year and had a conversation with him. He's so dope. I like, anyway, <laughs> I'll just, I'll leave it at that. But, uh, but yeah, we needed, I think the calling for me really, um, was, became big because I knew that we needed to see representation of all people of all walks of life in this role, um, you know, connected to science and scientific thought and curiosity. Um, because that's how we're going to inspire a wider and broader audience of folks to get involved. And so that's why it became like, I became laser focused back in 2008 and being like, I got to do this. This is, I want to be the next quote unquote Bill Nye, but I want to do it in my style, my way, in my voice so that other little girls and boys who look like me can feel and see themselves on television and know that it's possible for them too. Well, it's so important. And if you look at sort of the projections of climate change and sea level rise impacts on the coast, a constant thread in that discussion, if you're going down deep enough, you will see that social justice issues and communities of color are are expected to be at more adversely affected than many other communities around the world. Uh, your presence as an African-American woman and science communicator is essential to motivating those communities to understand what they're facing, I would think. Absolutely. And that is a really important part of my work. It's it's talking, having these really hard conversations, because like you said, we've seen communities of color and marginalized communities disproportionately impacted by the mm-hmm. negative impacts of climate change and all these other environmental justice issues. And so they're one and the same. And one of the silver linings I think that I've seen this year is this upsurgence of people recognizing, especially those who are in the environmental you know, conservation movement, right. where I've felt frustrated myself personally throughout my career, where it's like, why aren't we talking about this fact that, um, Yes, we want to save the polar bears. Yes, we want to save the whales. But what are we doing to save people yeah. and protect people? Yeah. So they, they have to go together. Protecting people and the planet simultaneously is absolutely critical. Hi, everyone. This is Tyler Buckingham, and I am pleased to announce a brand new feed on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, ASPN University. ASPNU is your podcast destination to access the cutting-edge thinking and research taking place on the campuses and research vessels of the elite academic institutions on the American shoreline. 
Here you will access the coastal discussions as never before, with engaging stories of cutting-edge research, innovative thinking, and students who will soon be the next generation of coastal and ocean professionals. This month, we kick off ASPNU with a four-part series on engineering with nature, featuring graduate voices from the Oregon State University. What I like about the work you're doing is it's engaging, it's entertaining, it's informative. The, the work that you do in, in social media, on TV, on all of the other platforms that you operate within is engaging. But underneath it, there's a real deep seriousness to, I think, the effort uh, that you're undertaking in, I, I think of it in terms of science literacy, number one, and number two, the fact that addressing the problems we're facing ultimately ends up in the public arena and scientists are being dragged into politics now more than ever. Climate change is doing it. And the scientific community, I think, has a ways to go to get, uh, you know, get skilled in that arena. Uh, Got to sharpen their tools a little bit. Well, and, it's, and I understand it because most of the scientists that I know, and a little bit like the engineering community, this is not their bailiwick. This is not what they're about. They're not about the political system. They're about research, investigation, science, and facts. But the fact of the matter is what they're learning is ultimately digested in the political process and makes scientific literacy so important. Can you talk a little bit about this bridge that you're doing, which is into the community of the public discussion? Sure. Yeah, I think it's, I personally don't like politics either. I am not one to you know gravitate to that, but I understand the importance of being in the room and having a seat at the table. Uh, one example I could give you would be a 2016 um, Big, Blue, Big Blue and You, my nonprofit, partnered up with the Ocean Project and the Youth Ocean Conservation Summit to bring a delegation of teenagers to D.C. to speak with President Obama's uh, Council on Environmental Quality to encourage them to protect um, a certain MPA. And so having a to take part in that conversation was super daunting and scary. Like we actually went to the White House or to the adjacent, I forget the name of the building, but it's the executive, right. the, the executive the, building or something yes, like that. Yeah. <laughs> One yeah, of those. The executive office building. That's it. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we had this meeting, we sat at a large table and it was, but the thing that was most inspiring was watching the teen delegates that we brought with us. Uh, how empowered they felt as we walked into that room and that they were able to speak their voice and say what they needed to say and why this was so important to them. And based on the science that they've read, this was this needed to happen. This protection of this marine protected area needed to happen. Um, those types of experiences uh, within politics are crucial. And I, I want to see more of the scientific community doing things like that. And I think they are. I think because of our circumstances with COVID, um, it's forced a lot of scientists to step out of their comfort zone and to really speak up because we can't let those who have private interests in their own industries and, you know, um, really not no concern whatsoever for for the well-being of others. We can't let them have control. We need people with logic, logical minds and the information to step up. And so whatever I can do to help, you know, allow that to happen, um, creating platforms, connecting with scientists directly, I, I'm going to do it because we have to. We have to at this juncture. Well, and I think you are doing a great job. And I would just like to learn a little bit about what you're working on now. Like what 
what are some of the projects that you have in the pipeline at the moment? Ooh, well, um, I've usually got at least four projects in the pipeline at any given time. You stay time, busy, and we it, know that. What's that? You stay busy, we know that. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> but it's really fun. That's what keeps me energized. And I feel as though even since lockdown, uh, I've been busier than ever because normally I'm on the road and I have to like find intermittent times to work. But now it's like, OK, well, now you can work a 12 hour day. And I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> but uh, but it's happening. It's all good. So currently projects that I'm working on. Um, I've been hosting a lot of virtual events. So since April, I've participated in several uh, online shows, film festivals and conferences and summits, which has been really interesting. The learning curve, you know, I'm definitely a bit zoom zoomed out. Uh, <laughs> zoom fatigue is real, but it's been interesting pivoting into that space and learning how to connect because the, the beauty of it is that we've been able to connect more people to this content. So a lot of the events that I've participated, participated in the past have been, you know, limited because people, people you know because of location we couldn't get as much international as much of an international audience as we wanted because of the distance now with these virtual events we've got almost everybody coming and it's been phenomenal to watch um and then i'm also working on a, a basically a a short course for scientists, upcoming scientists, those who maybe have just graduated from undergrad or are currently in grad school and are looking to do something a little different, who want to get involved in science communications. I'm developing an online course for that, which I'm really excited about, just to show the possibilities of what type of science communications they could participate in. It's not just television. It's also, you know, science writing. It's it's creating podcasts. It's all of these different things. Um, we even have science communicating science communicator artists who are creating awesome you know piece just amazing things I, I i could go into so many things but that's really been my focus for the last few months and i'll also be working with the ocean race summit that's happening this month the month of september uh, it's very exciting because it's a part of the ocean race um, which is this global sailing race that happens every few years and so the summit is leading up to the race and i'm going to be meeting with 11th hour racing and uh, interviewing lots of brilliant scientists and we're it's all being hosted online so definitely tune in um and see the this tremendous event that is going to be speaking to many of the UN Sustainable Development Goals uh, and how it's all connected to ocean health and what we can actually do about it. And I'm looking forward to hopefully producing my own show pretty soon. Well, wow. we love that topic and, our, and, and share your interest in that particular topic of, of up and coming professionals being well-versed in science communication and engagement with the public and the ability to discuss and translate the findings and research and facts that they learn to the to the world at large uh is is that process uh that you're engaging in this class that you're creating you got to promise us that when you, this thing gets off the ground you're going to come back on and, and introduce us to it because we'd love to learn more about that absolutely definitely I would love that. <laughs> well, look, we know you're you're a busy person and uh, we're coming up on the end of our time. But before we go, we like to do a little thing where we we call it concluders. Uh, and so, Danny, if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to leave our audience with this Labor Day, please uh, let us know. I think my final thought that I would love to leave with your listeners would be to not lose hope. And I know hope is a term that's used very loosely and 
you know, it's thrown around a lot, but honestly, look into your own your own life and what what really inspires you. Get back to the roots of your your purpose and what you want to do in this in this lifetime and and hone in on that and explore that because as we see things swirling around us, you know, in society and all these uncertainties that continue to pummel us every day. Yeah. I think it's super important that each individual digs a little bit deeper within themselves to find the core reason why they're here and so they can continue to build on that hope. Such an important mm. attribute of effective engagement with the world at large. Uh, Danny, if people want to follow your work, learn more about what you do, how can they get in touch with uh, the many great projects that you're working on? Oh, you can find me on social media, uh, just Danny Washington, D-A-N-N-I Washington. Um, I've also got a website under my name, but uh, would love to connect with anyone, you know, who who found this interesting or wants to know more. Feel free to reach out. Send me a DM. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Danny Washington, a science communicator and ocean advocate. She is a correspondent with Mission Unstoppable on CBS. Check that out. Exploration Nature Knows Best on Fox and a web-based series that I think is really spectacularly well done called Science, the bleep out of it. And uh, Danny, thank you so much for sharing your amazing insights into this topic on this Labor Day a holiday. It's such an important thing. And uh, I hope you have a great rest of the year and continue to do amazing work. Thank you so much. I wish the same for you. 